Welcome to Leading Simple with Rusty George. Our goal is to make following Jesus and leading others a bit more simple. Here's your host, Rusty George. Hey, welcome to Leading Simple. My name is Rusty George. I'm going to host you through this conversation today. Wow, we've got a great conversation with a church planter by the name of Matt Allman. And I say church planter, but he actually took over a church plant uh, from a friend of ours named Chris Hornbrook. And he has done an incredible job of not just keeping the store open, but having it grow, having it plant churches, and even thrive during COVID and thrive in the summer, which we're going to get to here in just a little bit. I know some of you work in a church and you're wondering, how do I help our church grow, especially post-COVID? How do I increase community involvement? How do I make, uh, how do I make a bigger difference in the world? Man, he's going to give you some great information. And especially, man, I, here's the things I wish I would have known going into taking over for somebody. Here are four questions I would have asked every person in our organization and in our church. I think you're going to really love that. Hey, today, I want to just let you know about something we've been doing around here that may help you as we approach uh, Easter and some of our significant holidays, and specifically for those of you that do baptisms in your services, kind of in like a mass baptism event where there's a lot of people that come down and get baptized. I found years ago that there were a lot of resources out there for people that are exploring faith. Books like How Good is Good Enough, books like uh, The Case for Easter, The Case for Christ, uh, The Case for Christmas. Great, great stuff. And they were often put into very small, easily digestible pages of information. Maybe it's 50 to 60 pages. And they were great to help people process their faith. But at our church, we were realizing we didn't have anything to give people after they crossed the line of faith, after they said yes to Jesus or after they got baptized. So we worked to put together a resource that we simply call A Simple Path to Following Jesus. And it just walks through the verse Micah 6, 8, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. It's very intentional about pushing people into uh, ministry and leadership and discipleship at your church and will really help your people take a next step. So it's a great little companion you can give people. Uh, The book is very cheap. It's very small, very short. You can find it on Amazon, A Simple Path to Following Jesus. Uh, And this little resource is a great thing for you to hand out to people as they come out of the baptistry. We're going to put together a little uh, baptism kit, kind of a little uh, bundle of things saying congratulations, and and this book will help them. So just check it out on Amazon. I I think you'll really like it. You can probably buy it uh, by the case, which we did, and we're giving them out to everybody who crosses the line of faith. Well, that's enough of me rambling. We're going to get to my conversation with Pastor Matt Allman, and I know you're going to really love what he has to say. Here we go. All right, Matt Allman, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Last name Allman, are you one of the brothers? Well, I've heard that from time to time. Unfortunately, I am not. I was hoping there'd be a royalty check come my way, but it's just not happened yet. Okay. Well, I do believe it is spelled differently, but for our listeners that aren't you know, don't know you or your situation. Tell us a little bit about yourself, sure. where you come from, where you are, and what it is you're doing. Sure. I come from the Midwest. I am now here in California, suffering through this 70-degree winter, uh, as you are, mm. but found Jesus around 18 years old uh, at a church called Eastview Christian Church in central Illinois. I thank God for that place. 
to this day. Yes. Uh, after that, they had this incredible youth ministry uh, led by a guy named Pastor Matt Reagan, mm-hmm. who in every way a youth pastor could reach down into a pit and grab a hurting kid and disciple him. He did for me. And then they had a great culture of leadership and just turning kids loose to do ministry. And they kept tapping me on the shoulder and say, hey, would you do this next? Would you do that next? And I said, yes, yes, yes. And that led me into a life of ministry. And so now I have beautiful wife of 15 years. She's a nurse, works a couple days a week, three children, uh, ages 10, seven, and five. So we start our day at about six in the morning and have something to do until about 8.30 p.m. And we lead a church called Momentum Church here in Chula Vista, California. Now, from what I understand, that church uh, was started by somebody else. At what stage did you come into it uh, I know that Chris Hornbrook got it started. We love Chris, and he's been part of our yes. family for years. But tell me where you kind of connected, and then you know what it was like to take over when he felt like God was calling him somewhere else. Oh my goodness! Yep. So uh, yeah, our church has this incredible origin story that involves Chris and this entrepreneur who is here in Southern California. He was getting to the end of his life. He predicted and said, "I want to do something incredible for the gospel." He had built businesses and you know flipped them and made profits in that way. So he's in his mid to late 60s. He starts a business just for the purpose of increasing kingdom generosity. He uses that business to help plant momentum. Mm. I got here about year three and a half. I know it was 2013, and I believe it was three and a half to four uh, after we... So I, I get... I, I'm still doing setup teardown. I set my Apple Watch, and I, I make sure I close my circles on a Sunday morning all that business. And then I've been leading the church for five years now. And so what I tell Chris is, you know, I mean, there's the whole succession thing is crazy. If we could have done that again, I tell Chris, I wish he would have just stole a bunch of money and ran away. And then I could be the hero and then he could give the money back later. Cause that would probably be way more smooth than having a 30, whatever I was 34 year old dumb, dumb, try and figure it out as he goes. But yes. here we are. How old was the church when you took over? So eight, eight years, I think, because I remember okay. we celebrated our 10-year anniversary without Chris. And so I think it was eight year eight, eight-ish where I began to lead the church. Okay. Well, that's, <clears throat> that's a long runway for a church planner to really become legendary and hero status. And, cool. and, and Chris yeah. is that. I mean, he's great to begin with. He's a relational animal. Mm-hmm. He's always the most encouraging person in the room. So people yes. love being around him. I totally get what you're saying. And any of our uh, you know, church leaders that have followed a legend know exactly what that's like. Um, yes. I, I, wish, I wish Kyle Eidelman had done the same thing yeah, just uh, because he was so tough to follow because he's just amazing. And and so here you are following a legend, and it's not like you have a you know a long gap in, bet- in between the two of you where people forget him. Correct. It's not like he's done anything awful. So what was your you know kind of initiatives priorities when you first started, and then how did that change? And what would you say to yourself back then oh that you'd say, oh, I wish I would have done this differently. This is so easy because I think about this all the time and hopefully one day I'm able to keep a young man from making as many mistakes as I did. Um, You know, one thing that was happening with Chris and I that no one knew is we had together looked at a series of big changes we needed to make. We did a strat ops, we did the whole thing. 
And it was in the middle of the strat ops. One day finishes, we're like three days into the thing. He's like, brother, everybody left. He's like, hey, I'm going to be leaving. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? And so we tell the strat ops guy before he leaves. And he's like, I don't know, guys. And, and so we had, I'm a, I just three on Enneagram, ENTJ. I just love goals. And uh, we had all this cool stuff that we had developed as a team. And I thought, hey, no worries. I'll just do all this stuff we set out to do and <laughs> everything will go great. If I could do it again, here's what I would do. Succession. If I could do it again, I would take my first six months and I would take, I would have divided up every single person in our congregation and had our staff team members meet with every last person. So we each take 40, 50 people. And I would ask them, why do you love this church? What do you hope never changes? Who's your best friend here? And how can I be a great pastor for you? And I would have just done that for six months. Wow. That's a great list. And then six months later, I would go back to the same people and I'd go, hey, you love this church for this reason. This is your best friend. This is what you hope never changes. Hey, I'm committed to being a pastor because this is what you need. And then having been informed by those encounters, I would have, went, I would have let that inform the goals we need to do next. And I did not do that. And I missed a huge opportunity, but it is what it is. Here we are. So you decided then you were just going to go ahead with the strat ops plan then. Is that right? Yes. And, you know, we did get good wisdom and they said, hey, here's what you needed. You know how if you've done strat ops, they give you kind of crunch everything down into your goals. They go, hey, make Chris's transition the new priority and then everything else follows. And mm. to, to when it comes to celebrating and sending and blessing, we nailed that. I, we did a video. His grandpa's in there like, I'm proud of you. It was so <laughs> cool. But what I missed is now I understand that, yes, sending him is a part of that, but then shepherding this congregation yeah. through this huge change that just ripped their hearts out right. was the second part. And so. Mm, yeah, that is. It's such an emotional thing because people, some people are mad. Some people are just sad. Yeah. And to try to lead them through that, it, it does take a while. Your four questions, those were brilliant. Where, where'd those come from? Yes. All of the mistakes that I made. <laughs> um, yeah, well, let me walk you through them. I, I'd love to know why. I mean, I understand the question, what do you love about this church? That's great. Why? Who's your best friend? Because I've come to understand, and I, and I think, because I've worked, I grew up in a mega church, worked in one for seven and a half years, and now I've led a church that's ranged between 100 and 300 people. I've learned that a church is really just a series of relationships. Hmm. And any one of us could just map out our church between relationships. And so um, when people are going through something, they're not just processing it for themselves. They're thinking of what's going on through a network of relationships that they're connected to within this church. Mm. And just the simple empathetic act of asking, who's your best friend? Mm -hmm. And it would, would inform the pastor in that situation, uh, you know, so much about what these people are thinking and who they love and who they care about and who they like to see on a Sunday morning, for example. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's really good. So there's always a danger as a pastor, especially when your church is in the stages that you guys were in, of how do I keep the people happy who are here versus reach the people who aren't here? So when you ask a question like, what do you love most about this church? 
What if it's something that's a sacred cow that becomes a sacred cow that you know you have to kill? That might be, I'm going to use a really bad illustration here. That might be, I like organ music. That's what I love. <laughs> yes. Oh, goodness. We're going to have to change that. So, you know, that's obviously not an issue anymore. But, Correct. you know, how do you balance that between keeping people happy and reaching people who aren't here? I, I mostly don't know, but what <laughs> I feel having been through what I've been through up to this point in my ministry journey is if I had spent the first year asking those questions and going back and re-asking those questions, uh, I think, because we without a doubt had some cows that needed to go. Hmm. And Hornbrook would tell you that, anybody in our context would tell you that there were some things that had to go, as there always is in any healthy church. I feel though, having taken the time to ask those questions would have positioned me to do, you know, slaughter some sacred cows without as much collateral damage. Can you think of any of those right now off the top of your head? I can. I can. Uh, I'm trying to be sensitive because, you know, <laughs> somebody's going to hear this and go, how dare one thing, one thing, we had a rich relationship with Go Ministries in the Dominican Republic. Yes. I love Go. I've personally supported Go for the last two decades. I've had personal, uh, my family and I support missionaries there. Our congregation had come to feel as though the spiritual finish line was making it on a trip to the Dominican Republic. And wow. we've learned a lot from Putnam and the spiritual growth wheel yep. and uh, uh, Dan Spader, who is a discipleship and evangelism thinker and theologian. And if you, if you do the work, you understand that going on a mission trip should catalyze you to live on mission um, when you're, here in your day-to-day life as a doctor, as a marketplace leader, as a teacher, or wherever you are, those trip movements to moments or moments to movements, you know, that, that moment in the Dominican Republic, we hope it stirs a movement in your heart. Well, we had a congregation at one point in time who had really, you know, and through no one's fault had just come to understand that that's like a finish. Oh, I, now I do this year after year. And that is discipleship. Well, that is a step in your discipleship. And that was one thing that was really, really hard for us to unstick. And then with that, helping people understand, like going back to our Easter idea, the mission field is here. You know, the mission field is that classroom you go and teach in every day. The mission field is for my wife, the hospital unit and the coworkers for the student. It's their hallways or the soccer team. And and so when we came around, like Stratops had shown us, you know, let's make the most of Easter. Let's make the most of these significant Sundays. So when we were trying to move people from this, like go over there and do Jesus things to do them right here, it felt off or it felt unusual to people. Mm. That's such a good word um, because we tend to think, you know, our where our money goes it's not really impacting where our mission is as far as, yeah, we can still do that. We can still push that, but we've also got this here when really, you know, Jesus said where your treasure is or your heart will be. And when you invest in something, it, it really does kind of change the trajectory of your church's vision. Yes. Um, you know, a lot of churches are out there and, and they, they often say, and this is true at any level of leadership, you always want to think at the level you're not at. Mm. So if you're a church of 50, you want to think like a church of 200. Yes. When you hit 200, you want to think as a church of 600, 800, whatever it is, the natural milestones. Uh, now here you are post-pandemic 
And it's kind of been a reset. A lot of us have had to kind of go back and rethink about who we are and where we are and who's really with us. Yes. How has your mindset shifted? What are you thinking about now in terms of the next level for you guys, a bigger church? I mean, you have to be ahead. Yeah. You know, where's your thinking right now as far as down the road? That's so good. That's such a good question. You know, one of our unique, one of the, you know, we're church planting church by God's grace. We've been blessed to plant five churches, hmm. you know, in our year, you know, whatever we're on 13, 14, 13, 14 years and 13 years. And so we, when we bring in a church plant resident, that's um, somebody who's going to plant a church and we're going to train them and disciple and let them see how we do it. We give them a fishing license, which means you can talk to people, you can cast your vision, you're going to preach, you can tell them, hey, come with me. And so our last church plant was February 23rd, 2020. And we sent 54 people to go and help plant that church. And by God's grace, you've met Tony. It's my best friend from college. Yes. We sent him that scoundrel. Yes. And then (laughs) two weeks later, this thing comes called (laughs) COVID-19. And so it's like, yeah, because planting a church is that you when you say you're giving birth to a church, that metaphor applies all the way down to like you need some time to heal. Yep. And you feel it when you know after you've given birth. And so we give birth to this beautiful church and 54 people. I think we're at we're around 175 people at our church at the time. Or no, go like two and a quarter. And then we send 54, which shrinks us beneath a growth barrier. Then COVID comes, which shrinks us beneath another growth barrier. Mm. And so in my ministry, going back to your question, in my ministry journey, I was learning to move from rancher to shepherd. So I mega church upbringing, mega church ministry experience brought into this church plant world. And you, you tend to think like a rancher. I know how to make movements and budget and organize a big move, big sweeping movements, but to have to transition to learn to lead like a shepherd and to shepherd people through this experience and the pandemic and what it's done to them and what it's done to their children. And now we're kind of all back and I'm ready to roll, but I also have this deep feeling that our people still need lots of relational care. Mm. And so I'm trying to hold in one hand mission. Let's, let's remember what we're here for. Let's reach the lost, especially as Easter is approaching, but care for these sheep, you know, and, and how do you love these people back to health so all the beautiful Great Commission things could happen within our church family. Hey, let me interrupt this podcast for just a second. We put together a really great resource to help you help people with their faith after they've crossed the line of faith. So for those who've been baptized recently, or maybe they're making a decision for Christ on an Easter weekend, hand them this short little book called A Simple Path to Following Jesus to help them in their faith journey. You can find it on Amazon, A Simple Path to Following Jesus, or check it out on my website, PastorRustyGeorge.com. Okay, back to our conversation. Did you come up with a list of people that you thought, I'm going to stay in touch with them, I'm going to talk to them often, and was there a similar thing that you asked them, talked to them about, or they would talk about in regards to kind of post-COVID and the lag effect of all of that? And it seems like while we as pastors are ready to move on and charge the next hill and back to business as usual, we have a congregation of people that are still reeling from 
a loss of community, a, yeah. a division in families over masks, no masks, or political parties. Or oh my goodness, yeah. You know, and you're still having to pastor that while you're trying to lead. And there is a big difference between rancher and shepherd. So how how are you leaning back into the shepherd role? Um, this Christmas, uh, my family and I made pasta sauce for the entire church. And so we have this family tradition, the almond family pasta sauce. And I've drawn from many Italian friends. I cook, my whole family, you know, cooks, we just eat nonstop and it's what we love to do. And so we make this pasta sauce every year. We make about 30 jars or something like that, special recipe. Every single one of the kids has a little part to play and it's this cute Christmas family thing. And I got a little sensitive on a weekend and we threw this party and I said, and by the way, I'm making pasta sauce for you guys. And, and I was like, oh no. My wife was like, no, you're making pasta sauce for these guys. Oh, that's so, so good. We did it. And so uh, literally we have this, uh, this woman in our church as sweet as she could be. And uh, she has, she's a, a diabetic and uh, you know, old, a place where her age is, a consideration as far as COVID goes. And she hadn't gotten her sauce yet. And before she, you know, but on that sauce, she, I'm going to be out of town. Can I get the sauce? And so I was driving uh, through San Diego and she lives in Coronado and I dropped her off a sauce, gave her a fist bump and said, she felt so guilty. I'm so sorry. I'm not there. I just have to pray. I said, no, 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 no. This isn't about that. This is for you. This is, we love you. And I'm glad you're safe. And yeah. it, I've had to learn that by the way, that's not, you know what I mean? The, the rancher is like, oh, we lost six sheep. Okay, fine. We still got these 40. Let's roll. And the shepherd says, no, 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 no. Let's take care of these six and make sure they make it there with us. Yeah. And so I'm mm. learning. It is not my natural bend or temperament. And so I'm learning it, to be honest with you. That's so good. Now, I assume you wore a mask while you were cooking it? Of course. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. <laughs> Yes, double masked, hazmat suit. Hazmat suit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a great story. I, I love that, and I love that the care that you put into that. That's the old uh, uh, the Andy Stanley phrase: "Do for one what you wish you could do for all." And oh, yeah. I think for all of us out there, there's there's somebody we can help, even if we can't help everybody. But that that story does go a long ways. Okay, so I want to I want to talk about what I originally asked you to come on and talk about, and that is you've already. You've alluded to this a couple times. Sure, yeah. In your strat ops years ago, you guys decided we're going to leverage a few holidays and we're really going to make these sweeping, yes. you know, drag the net through the water kind of thing to catch as many fish as possible. Yes. And obviously Christmas and Easter are a big part of that. Tell me how you guys think about those events and are there any others that we're not thinking about? And just walk us through kind of the evolution of using big holidays as a way to connect people far from your church. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I've, I think I've mentioned to you in passing that our evolution began with a breakout session you led at Exponential. And I remember that was on our radar and you were doing a session, you know, making the most of significant Sundays or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And this classroom was packed and I had <coughs> snuck in and like was shoulder to shoulder with two people. And you're telling us about, you brought this lion in. I think you got a pretty funny story about a lion. And, yes. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, dude, we need a lion. Yep. It, we could do a lion. And like, you know, and, and, and so we started to go, what does that look like for us? And so we've thrown everything there is at Easter. And I'll tell you what, if you want to make some Pharisees upset, start trying to make the most of Easter for evangelism purposes. Isn't that the and strangest thing? You don't even thing? have to go looking for them. Yeah, I got so much it, heat it's crazy. for 
for throwing a big party on Easter. I couldn't believe it. To try and share the resurrection of our Lord and Savior. Exactly. So, yeah. I don't know how that one works out. Maybe you could coach me on that sometime. But sorry, <laughs> going back. Going back. So Easter was obvious. We knew that one. Um, back to school season, I think many ministry people know that that's a time when you want to have your ducks in a row and be intentional. Two of them that have had very low ROI for us. And I don't know. I, I'm being descriptive, not prescriptive. But Mother's Day and Christmas in our neck of the woods have been significant Sundays that don't really amount to new people who call your church home. Interesting. What we see on Mother's Day is we do our baby dedication that day. We got it really smooth and clean. And so it's not like a six, you know, it's not a long experience, but right. what you have is a lot of aunts, uncles, cousins, aunties, whoever's come to the church to see the baby or, you know, to do, because to do the mom thing, but then they're, they're right back to their normal lives. Here in San Diego, we're a military community, a transient population, and lots and lots of people are from somewhere else. So around Christmas time, they all are back somewhere else doing Christmas with their families. And so we'll see an attendance bump. But when the new year rolls around, unless we're missing something or real, I mean, we're pretty intentional about creating those bridges to come back and all that stuff. Uh, Christmas doesn't do it, do it for us. The two, the two that we have discovered that I don't know if a lot of people are making the most of are number one, Halloween weekend. Yeah. After Easter, Halloween weekend is our uh, highest attended Sunday of the year. And so we said, let's ride this wave because we have down here in San Diego so much Latino culture and the Dia de los Muertos. And they just have a whole different reverence for deceased people and that sort of thing. They got the face painting with the skeletons. And we're like, yeah, like, why not throw a party? And, and it's sustainable. We just say kids costume Sunday. Every kid wear your costume. We'll put a little candy station here and there. And and people come out. You know, we've done face painting and fun stuff like that. People come from all over the place to just join us on Halloween Sunday. And so that's one that I don't know if a lot of people have jumped on. Here's my other one that I, I don't know if a lot of pastors are doing right now. If you just really want to nerd out on the ministry thing. Uh, summer. So uh, I am blessed to be a part of a mentorship group with Pastor Larry Osborne from North Coast Church in Vista. Hmm. And he opened my eyes to the power of summer. He said, Hmm. think of summer for a moment. He goes, it's such a tradition for a pastor to go and do a study break or a sabbatical or whatever. He goes, but nationally, that is when the most people are relocating and moving. So your major marketplace corporations are moving families around all summer because the kids are out of school and it's an easy time to re- you know replace and, hmm. and and he goes what would happen for you know rearrange your schedule be there for summer preaching your best stuff shaking hands and meeting these new people who just came to your community and are looking for a church and so pre covid I gave that a shot for the first time summer of 19 and that was the greatest three-month growth season we had since I've been leading the church. Wow. That is fascinating right there. Because we tend to think that attendance is down, which it usually is because people are traveling. Correct. But the people that are there, a lot of them are new. That's really interesting. Oh, absolutely. And so huh. I, I think we really, like exactly that, that point, what you just brought to light there, is when it comes to these significant Sundays and your Easter's and your attendance booths, we all need to be very, very 
diligent in separating high attendance number from how many people that we're actually trying to reach are in that number. Mm, that's good. And so like going back to my mother's day, you know, the attendance is up, but it might be, you know, family members that attend church at the other church down the road or whatever. But when, when are we actually getting lost people through the door or people who are really looking to connect to a church family through the door? Cause there's a difference. Mm-hmm. And if we all know that going into those moments, I think we're going to be way more effective. That's really good. Okay. So I hear that. And, uh, I think, wow, that that's great, love that, but that costs money to really, you know, make a huge investment. I know what it costs to bring a lion in, and uh, <laughs> not everybody can do that. I hope I know how much that costs one day. <laughs> my my question is this: There's a lot of church planners listening, a lot of uh, small churches listening, and and even large churches that no longer have the budget they used to. What do you do uh, to market for these events, whether it's Easter or a summer series, or for some people who still want to, you know, or still see leverage with Mother's Day or Christmas or Father's Day? Sure. You know, what do you do in order to make a big splash with a little budget? I, um, I begin with vision. Vision is free. And so we, we know going, especially into Easter, at least a couple of those Sundays, Everything, the only thing we're focusing on is a white hot vision in our people for the power. So my daughter, one of the first times we got back from your thing at Exponential, we're like, this Easter, we're doing it. And so we had invite cards for parents, invite cards for kids. We just saturated. But my daughter, we were walking her to school one day and she had a little group of girls. And I think she was a first grader at the time. And she has her invite card. She goes, dad, sprints, throws me in her backpack, goes sprinting to her friends. And she goes, girls, girls, Haley, Mia, I've got something for you. Yeah. And, and I was just sobbing instantly because my daughter is in first grade inviting her friends to church. But then she said that phrase, I have something for you. Mm-hmm. And she, at that age, perceives something. We think of inviting our friends to church and are like, cringe. I don't want to have to corner them. But we're like, remember when you leave this, this church building, this, this place, that you have something people are dying for. Mm. They are so hungry for this. Mm-hmm. And when people get that vision, all of a sudden the invite and all the things we're doing, you know, the creative outreach and all that stuff. Oh, when they get the vision, oh, they go running after it. Mm-hmm. So vision's free. So you compel people to share it with their friends. You give them a postcard or some kind of piece of information to hand out. Yes. What's on that card? What are you promoting? How do you get that out there? I mean, do you do anything in the community like ads or banners or yeah. free donuts? Or I, I hear a lot of churches doing that kind of thing. What do you see in there? Uh, we do. Yeah, we've we've tried all the stuff. I mean, if it, if you no, the cool thing now is you hang your donuts on a wall. So your donuts on a hook. Yeah. And so we I think we tried doing the donuts on a hook. It's not it's falling on hard times. But anyways, we we're big. We're big on clear Trump's cool. It, it, it is. It's about clear. It is. This is the place. This is the time. This is the service. How to get the little map on the back. We really we really lean into clear um, going back to our cost effective outreach. We're just if you get creative for a second, you can really make a you can punch above your weight if you're just willing to stop and be creative. So this year we're going to do signs, you know, Easter with momentum. Here's our website. Here's the address. You know, those little, you've done that before. Probably people put the sign in their yard. Yeah. Well, here's the deal. I'm going to order 150 extra ones. And I got two boys in my church 
that are high school age that'll go put those anywhere we want them for the cost of a Chipotle burrito. Yeah. And again, if you look at the, the amount of eyes that are going to get involved and see these signs all over the place, and I'm going to spend 16, I'll pay it out of my own pocket. Huh. I'll buy the boys a burrito if they get 150 signs out there. That's the least I could do. And so it, it's create creativity. And then the one we, we stumbled upon was those community Facebook pages. Mm-hmm. We did an event around we did an event around Halloween and it wasn't like come to our church Halloween event. It was before that we threw a, a party out in a park because we just wanted people to know that we exist as a church. And we, you know, we we had registrations. I think we did Eventbrite and did registrations on Eventbrite mm-hmm. and just put it out there. And so then the craziest thing happens. We we're three weeks out, we had 250 family signed up to be at this thing. I'm like, this can't be, nobody signs up for anything here until the day before. Right. And then, you know, we're the day before we have 400 people signed up and, and the registering and all this stuff. And, and so the, the day of the event, we had over 800 people at this. I mean, it was scary. I'm not bragging. Mm -hmm. I was scared because we had three inflatables, two face painters and we just, (laughs) and a guy making churros. And I was like, oh, no, we're going to need some fish in the lows to have. So anyways, <laughs> here's what I found out, though. So I just, the whole time I was walking around, I was introducing myself to people and saying, hey, how'd you hear about this? And then the two things, 95% of these people said, number one, we have these Facebook community pages. Uh, the moms of Eastlake, our area is called Eastlake. The moms group of Eastlake, the food lovers of Ocean View Hills, the so-and-sos. And there's these little pockets where somebody posted it. And then two, I did not know this, but there are people who just get, they don't know what to do on a weekend because they're isolated and alone. So they get on Eventbrite and they go, what's going on in this town? Wow. How could I be a part of something? Because I want to take my kids to something and get them out of the house. And because you and I, I would imagine, I go, who does, I don't want to get on Eventbrite. I got too much going on, but I think people are far lonelier than we might imagine. Mm. And so those people are getting on Eventbrite and then just taking the word from a stranger on a Facebook community page. And I think those are two places, again, it's free that so many of us could be taken advantage of. Mm. That's so good. Okay. So you mentioned something earlier that was probably a little bit of a, a shock and awe for some people listening. And that is you were a church of, 150, 200 people, and then you planted another church. Yes. We tend to think church planting is for the large churches, but I hear more and more stories of church plants planting churches. Tell us, at what stage do you think you're ready and when you should do it? Wow, that's such a good question. I I was thinking through this leading up to this just to have my facts straight, and so we've planted five churches so far. Mm. And our church has ranged between 175 people and 300 people and, the, and no bigger That's great. in the time that we, by God's grace, have been able to plant five churches. And I'm not talking, I'm not talking house churches. I'm not talking, and I love those. Uh, I'm not talking, you know, little, right. you know, 12 people. I'm talking churches that are out there holding weekly worship services, discipling people in groups, the whole thing. Mm. And so... Ready is tough. Some buddies were just asking me this, and there's so much based on your context as, as to what you could do. But I would start. I would start with the idea um, that so many of us are underestimating what we could actually do when it comes to church planting. Mm. 
That's really good. And I know you worked with a great church planning organization called Stadia, which does such a good job of getting churches started. And as I've said many times on this podcast, if you're interested in church planning, contact me, uh, especially if you want to do it in California. And Matt, I love what you are doing in in San Diego. So I'm just going to send people your way because you have a heart to plant churches all over San Diego County. Bring them on. uh, Between you and Tony and and some of the other church plants down there. So, and I'm so grateful for what you're doing and for the way you do it. And I'm grateful for uh, your sharing on this podcast. This was a huge help for so many. The feeling's mutual, Rusty. We crossed paths about a year ago, and I just wanted to say thank you. You've been one of the most hospitable and generous pastors that I've encountered, and it's really inspired me. I wanted to tell you I really appreciate that about you. Well, I appreciate that, buddy. You make it easy. So uh, praying for you guys at Momentum Church in San Diego. Man, what a really tough place to live. Boy, I don't know how... (laughs) You know, for us. absolutely. You know, 78 degrees year round. How do you do it? So yeah, God tough. bless you. I mean, your sports teams aren't any good, but at least they, uh, keep leaving you know, too. they do. They keep coming up here to, to LA. Okay, brother. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. Catch you later. Well, that was some great information there. I hope you really were blessed by what he had to say. It was good, good stuff. And please share it with a friend if you think of someone that would benefit from hearing that. As always, leave your rate and review for the podcast. It'll be great. Next week, one of our favorites comes back. The uh, detective, cold case investigator, uh, Jim Warner Wallace. Uh, Jim will be with us to talk about his latest book, Person of Interest. I think you're going to love this conversation. I know I did. So make sure that you check it out next week. Uh, We will talk to you then. As always, keep it simple. Take a moment and subscribe to the podcast so you'll get it delivered every week. And subscribe to the Rusty George YouTube channel for more devotionals, messages, and fun videos. Thank you for listening to Leading Simple.